Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus now, from BetQL, it's time for the Daily Tip with Michael Jenkins. Dang it, he's talented, and let's be honest, I go for ambition, not luck. And Chelsea Messenger. Don't kill the messenger, or the messenger will kill you. Hey, Dad, don't forget about me, the dunkster. Presented by BetMGM. <laughs> Good morning. It's the top of the hour here on the Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. If you stick with us, we have all kinds of things to get into because it's the best time of year when it comes to the sports world. Starting with MVP Monday, who had the best weekend of any player across the sports world. We'll give you the candidates and a winner. Then at 720, Game 3, we'll give you the preview of the World Series. The underdog Dimebacks have looks like the better team so far. And now they get to go back home. Is it all D-backs all the way to a World Series crown? Then at 7.40, Monday Night Football in Detroit. Can the Lions bounce back in a big way against the Raiders? Plus, which player you should be betting on, individually speaking? Jenks, Halloween is tomorrow. And I feel mm-hmm. like we have not talked that much about Halloween. So I've got to ask the age-old question. What? Okay candy reigns supreme in the halloween candy power rankings who's number one for you let's make it real simple folks it's reese's peanut butter cups okay Mm -hmm. how can you not go wrong it's a classic and you can eat them warm. i like to put them in the refrigerator i like them a little cold and i'll i'll treat myself about 20 minutes later 
Oh my God. I don't think it's even close. You get a Reese's peanut butter cup. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. Don't give me some sort of gummy bear. Don't throw a whopper in my bag or I'll barf on the spot. I want a Reese's peanut butter cup in the story. What about you? I think the same way, but I will go a step more specific and say a Reese's pumpkin, because I feel like the ratio of chocolate to peanut butter is better in the Reese's pumpkins because it's less chocolate and more peanut butter. And I just like the mouthfeel and the way it kind of feels going down, which now I'm definitely a sommelier of Halloween candy. I was just going to say. A lot of my three-year-old's candy, uh, which is the other thing. Why does free candy and Halloween candy taste better than if you actually bought it in the stores? Because here's the thing. I am an Mm -hmm. adult with my own money. I can go buy Halloween candy or normal run-of-the-mill candy anytime I actually want to, but Mm -hmm. I don't. But now that I have Halloween candy, I'm like, oh my God, this is the best ever. What is the mental thing behind that? (laughs) That's actually a great point. I was thinking about this the other night because when I was at this Halloween party, they had... Just a little, I don't know, like a small bowl of these individual candies. I was like, ooh, candy. And I'm like, Michael, you can walk across the street right now and get as many candy bars as you want. You see them every day. I think it's A, if you're not a big candy eater, then this is the one time of year when you're like, oh, I think I'll have some candy because I never have candy. Two, there's something about it being so closely associated was something that I think is very positive. If you like Halloween, like I love Halloween, I think you do too. And then three, it's the fact that it's coming to you from an unexpected place, right? If you walk into the grocery store and you're like, okay, I can have, I can get a Milky Way, I get a Snickers, if I want to get Mounds, whatever, I can get any candy bar I want. But then you walk in, I walk into a small bar and I'm like, oh, I can have a mini Kit Kat. (laughs) that's unexpected so i think it's just a combination of all those things together and then all of a sudden you're so thrilled to get candy when you're totally right anytime you want candy it's not like it's scarce there's not a candy shortage across our country no and it's also free it's the same deal as when there are donuts in the break room like again you can go out and get yourself a donut it's not that hard but Mm -hmm. when it presents itself when it's unexpected and when it's free it also feels more acceptable too because isn't that the thing with candy Like, wouldn't it be weird if you were just, like, snacking on, like, little candy bars throughout the day? Just, like, in the middle of June. You're like, is that a little Kit Kat that you're snacking on? (laughs) Like, yeah. It's part of my diet plan. No, it's just not acceptable for adults to eat little candies throughout the day. So, Halloween, it kind of feels acceptable. Also, yesterday, I learned something about the lovely Catherine right before I was getting ready to go to bed early, of course. And so I reach in the refrigerator and I was like, and I had a single Kit Kat, like a really tiny one that I got the night before. And mm-hmm. I just put in the refrigerator. I was like, oh, I think I'm going to have this Kit Kat. So I eat it. She goes, that's how you eat a Kit Kat. I was like, how do you eat a Kit Kat? She's like, well, first I just eat like the the chocolate off the top. And then I like eat the way I go. You're the one we're. Like, what's the point of having all this together if you're not going to enjoy it together? So she, like, takes the layer of chocolate off the top and then, like, eats the wafer by itself. Like, she takes apart the Kit Kat slowly as she's eating it. I'm like, don't put this on me, Ricky Bobby. You're the weird one the way you're eating it. what This is all supposed to go together. And so she's dismantling it with how she's eating it. I've never heard that before. What is she, a hamster? Like, this sounds like a hamster. How a hamster would eat a Kit Kat. Right. Because I understand this in some cases where candy easily comes apart. 
I feel like Kit Kats don't easily disassemble. Like, no. right? Like, because it's one thing for like Twizzlers pull aparts if you're like, okay, oh, right. you know, I like to pull it apart because that's what it's literally supposed to do. But I feel like this would be difficult and messy. Does it not get everywhere? Yeah. I, I, I need to watch it. Like, an Oreo, I feel like, is a perfect example. There's a ton of people who be yes. like, Boop, I'll take the Oreo apart. I like the cream filling first or whatever. You know, it comes apart naturally. A kit cut. Have you looked at the inside of a kit? You're right. This is like hamster material. Like, <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? You wait. You're a human, right? You're gonna eat this Kit Kat that way? <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy Catherine a Kit Kat just so I can watch this go down. I feel like watching her. Like, that's like the start of a horror movie. That's how, like, you know, some demonic creature would be like feasting on bones of children. Just. No, this is totally normal, right? No, it's not. And you look very, very creepy. And you're going to be haunting my dreams. So sorry, Catherine. I'm not on your side on this one. All right. So let's do a little MVP Monday and switch gears to something a little less spooky. MVP Monday. All right. So since you brought it up, I will just say that my favorite candy bar is a whatchamacallit. Oh, I knew David would go off the board. I knew it. Uh, it, And here's, okay, so here's the weird thing. I am not a huge peanut butter fan at all. Like, I don't eat it, but the whatchamacallit has peanut butter in it. Can't explain it. Don't know why, but I love the whatchamacallit. So. What's in there? I don't even know. Because here's the thing, and I'll back up David in this regard. There are randomly some little candies that you kind of forgot about that you get for Halloween. You're like, wow, this is underrated. So what's in a whatchamacallit? Uh, it's Rice crispy kind of substance, chocolate, caramel, and then a thin layer of peanut butter. So it's not like an Ooh. overwhelming peanut butter f- taste to it, but there's peanut butter in it. But it just works mm. for me. It, it is absolutely one of, and it's a great, great thing when somebody who has no idea what that candy bar is and they ask you what your favorite candy bar is and you go, you know, whatchamacallit? And they're like, no, seriously, what's your favorite candy bar? You know, whatchamacallit? It's the whole like, yeah. who's on first thing? Oh, you it's know, that built in joke. It's absolutely fantastic. So we all gave out our MVPs for candy. Let's give out our MVPs. For sports on this Monday, not sports. Sports. Nominee number one, Adolis Garcia. Adolis Garcia sends one the other way. That sends Carroll back. He's at the wall, and the legend grows. Adolis Garcia wins game one. It's the game-winning home run in the bottom of the 11th on Friday night to give Texas a 1-0 lead in the World Series. Nominee number two, Merrill Kelly, Diamondbacks. Another 2-2 is perfect to the outside corner. And the eighth strikeout from Merrill Kelly. And he got him looking, and Heim knew it. Nine strikeouts on the night for Merrill Kelly, who's got another 1-2-3 inning. Pitched seven innings, giving up just three hits and one earned run while striking out nine as Arizona evens the series up at 1-1. Kelly is now 3-1 in the playoffs with a 2.15 ERA. 
Nominee number three, Will Levis, Tennessee Titans. Levis, that pop. Hopkins behind the defender, and he's got it on the run. Third touchdown of the day. Levis to Hopkins for Tennessee. Levis towards the end zone. Got a man. Touchdown. Wow. Westbrook Aquino. Levis threw four touchdowns in his debut game as Tennessee takes care of Atlanta, 28-23. Levis was 19 for 29 for 238 yards and four touchdowns. Three of those touchdowns went to DeAndre Hopkins. Nominee number four, Devin Neal, Kansas. Now a minute to go, two timeouts for Oklahoma. Kansas with Neal, touchdown! Neal scores the game-winning touchdown as Kansas knocked off number six Oklahoma 38-33 on the Jayhawks' homecoming game. Neal ran for over 100 yards as Kansas snapped it an 18-game losing streak to the Sooners. So, Jenks, do you want to go hmm. off menu or do you want to pick somebody off the list? Who is your MVP? I'm going to go with Dolas Garcia. Because A, it's the World Series. B, how does it get better than a walk-off in the World Series? And also, I don't know how this series is going to play out, but this was this was one of those moments where you potentially save the series for your team. Because I think you could make a strong argument that the Diamondbacks have been the better team in, in both games, right? They gave up that lead in the ninth inning. So... Arguably, they should have won game one. And then Kelly was unbelievable in game two. So if not for Garcia with that game-winning home run, all of a sudden we could be looking at the Rangers in an 0-2 hole. And I admit to being somewhat biased by the fact that he has done this throughout the postseason just again and again and again in big spots. So I'm going with the slugger from Texas. All right, so there were a couple of get-off-your-couch moments over the weekend for me, and that's saying a lot. It takes a lot to get my butt uh. off the couch, but that Adolis Garcia one uh, was one of them. But I don't think you can necessarily give it out to him without giving a slight nod to Corey Seager because Corey Seager hit the two-run bomb in the bottom of the ninth to get them two extra innings. But who I'm going to go with, not Will Levis, who also got my butt off the couch when he was dropping dimes to D-hop on the regular for my Tennessee Titans. I'm going to go Merrill Kelly here because I think this is still the better storyline. There is nobody better to put on a clinic for the Arizona Dimebacks, throw seven innings, and only give up one run in the World Series other than Merrill Kelly. This guy breathes, lives, and will probably die in the desert because he started there. He went to high school in Scottsdale. He went to junior college in Prescott, Arizona. He went to Arizona State. And then you look at the road that he's had to travel to get here to the World Series. He had to go play four seasons in Korea. Finally made his way back to the major leagues. And at the age of 35, he has played in his first postseason ever. So to do this in the World Series, and also dating back to the last series against Philly, pitching game seven against that crowd, 
I think you have to give it to Merrill Kelly. What a season for a guy who was not supposed to be one of the big names in the World Series. So MVP of the weekend, Merrill Kelly, Arizona Dimebacks. Absolute difficult weekend to actually give out the MVP for the weekend. But I'm going, and if you all don't know, you should know, my boy, Will Levis. That's right. I tried to tell everybody <laughs> before the draft, he was the best quarterback in this draft class. And I think he went out there and proved it yesterday that he is a force to be mm. reckoned with with your Tennessee Titans. He gives them that long ball. He knows who the best player is on that team, and he can actually get that player the ball. So for me, at least in a debut in the NFL, couldn't have gone much better for Will Levis, so it's going to be Will Levis for me. As much as I absolutely agree, I still don't know if he's the best quarterback in the draft class. Like, I think that still goes to C.J. Stroud. And here's the thing. I'm trying to be a little cautious because it is one game in the NFL, and there certainly can be some regression. But here's the thing. The bar for quarterback play for Tennessee has been so low that this was amazing to watch. You know how awful it's been watching our offense day in and day out, trying to, you know, get a first down. We have barely even scored touchdowns. So when he's dropping dimes all over the field, and like you said, these are not dink and dunk passes. These are beautiful down the field passes right on the money to DeAndre Hopkins. It is a thing of beauty. Will Levis, welcome to the National Football League. All right, after the break, we're going to talk some baseball. Game three, a full preview in the World Series coming your way next on The Daily Tip. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on The Daily Tip, presented by Bet MGM on the BetQL Network. Let's get back to the daily tip with Chelsea Messenger and Michael Jenkins, presented by Bet MGM on the BetQL Network. And we back. Got a lot to talk about today. We've got Monday Night Football coming up next segment, but in this segment, we'll give you our best plays for the Fall Classic. It's Game Three of the World Series: Diamondbacks Rangers Series. Tied at one game apiece, but now it's over at the desert uh, with the Diamondbacks playing at home now. Uh, they have very much looked like the better team so far, which is a surprise, but why should we be surprised? The Diamondbacks have been nothing but surprising people all postseason long. So, Jenks, going back to our Halloween candy discussion, what is mm-hmm. the Halloween candy that is surprisingly good? Kind of like the Arizona Diamondbacks. Oh, surprisingly good. Hmm. Oh, I'll tell you. This, well, score bar. Easily. Hmm. I love a score. Yeah. Now, it's essentially a Heath bar, but it's a different, I don't know if it's a different manufacturer. I think it may be. I think Heath is maybe made by Eminem Mars, where score is maybe made by Hershey. Is that right? I'm not sure. However... I love a good score bar because all it is, is just toffee covered in chocolate. Delicious. And in fact, that would give my Reese's peanut butter cup a run for the money. Now that I think about it many a time, I've had a score bar and I've had it in the fridge. I like to put my candy in the refrigerator. If you haven't noticed kind of like girl scout cookies, right? They're like, they're good when they're just a little bit cold. And so score bar, 
sneaky, sneaky, awesome candy. But how many times do you go out and people have like mini score bars? Like never. I think that's the best part of Halloween is when you are pleasantly surprised and you get like one of those um, off market candy bars, maybe not off market, but something that's not, you know, the heavy hitters, the Reese's, the right. Snickers, the Milky Way. But aren't score bars really thin? Like, is that the yes. difference between those and Heath bars? Because Heath bars I think are that's thick, right? I think that's that's actually a good call. I don't think I've ever thought about that. I think that's the difference. And I don't know why this reference always just pops into my head when I think of a score bar, but because they're so random. And I remember years mm -hmm. ago when I worked at NBC, I'm sitting there and I've got a score bar on my desk and I feel this presence behind me. And it's Brian Mitchell. B. Mitch used to play for Redskins years ago, Eagles. <laughs> and he's just staring. And I was like, what's up, B. Mitch? He goes, if you don't eat that score bar, I'm going to grab it. I was like, all right. <laughs> So he was just eyeballing my score bar, like standing over my shoulder. I'm like, all right. So I was like, I guess I better eat this score bar. Now. I know it's such a funny, random memory, but yeah, I love a good score bar. I'm telling you, underrated. I don't think I've ever had one, but I'm yeah, not a I huge did. fan of toffee because I feel like it hurts my teeth. Because mm. especially if you put it in the fridge, wouldn't that make it even harder to eat? Well, this is the key. I, I totally agree with you. When you eat a score bar, do not use your incisors. You know, you have to go to the back. You have to use your molars and you have to, that way you don't risk <laughs> chipping a tooth. So you have to kind of go put it. I would not recommend eating a cold toffee bar in front of someone. That's what I would say. Find yourself a nice quiet spot where you're alone and then you just kind of open your mouth and go out. And then you, you know, you get it with one of your back teeth and that way you can enjoy it, but you don't risk actually chipping a tooth. This is the only knock I have on Butterfinger because I was going to say Butterfinger is underrated candy that people don't talk about anymore. It used to be like, like pretty popular. Remember they had those like Bart Simpson ads that they would run yeah. on TV, um, but they get stuck like in your teeth really bad. And that's the worst when you just have that like whatever it is like the wafers or whatever like the the stuff yeah. is in the middle of butterfingers it just gets lodged mm -hmm. in your teeth so i'm gonna go tootsie rolls tootsie rolls oh. are not a candy that anybody chooses to eat when it's not a holiday season but damn it they're pretty good like they're so snackable like the little ones are like oh i'm gonna I try agree. one of these they're an absolute classic too like haven't they been around for like mm, i wanted to say like a hundred years but probably not that long but it's a classic also a Tootsie Pop. There's another classic. Mm -hmm. You've seen the old commercial. They brought him back. You know, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Whatever it is. Yeah. Tootsie Roll, Tootsie Pop. Oh, which is not three, by the way. You can crack your teeth wide open. <laughs> you lick that thing three times and then try to eat it. Do not do that. That owl didn't know what the hell he was talking about. But yeah, there's a good Tootsie Roll, good Tootsie Pop. That those. Oh, oh, Tootsie Rolls were invented. Chelsea, you are correct. Matt put this in the chat. I have to give credit to Matt because I don't have all this information off the top of my head. Tootsie Rolls invented in 1896. So you're right. Easily more than 100 years old. They've stood the test of time, too. Like, imagine how good Tootsie Rolls tasted to people in 1896. Where, remember when, like, oranges were, like, a delicacy? They're like, oh, my God. We had to go to Eastern lands to get this orange. Like people back then didn't have a lot to choose from. So can you imagine people like get, getting a Tootsie Roll and be like, oh my goodness, is this reserved for queens? No, this it's just so a Tootsie much, Roll. 
This is so much better than the curd we've been eating as dessert. It's delicious. <laughs> wow. Yeah, co compared to the, the options back then, that had to be a dream come true. Yeah, and then also you have the Tootsie Roll song, which was awesome too. And an absolute classic that I will dance to every single time, no matter how stupid I look. All right, so let's talk World Series and our plays for game three in the desert between the Diamondbacks and the Rangers. If you haven't been following, it's been a really exciting series. Game uh, series tied at one game apiece. So, so far, uh, the Diamondbacks, like I said, have looked like the better team, although they did lose in extras in game one at the hands of Adolis Garcia. Game two was much more lopsided. The Diamondbacks winning that one 9-1. to one. So, Jenks, once again, again, we're looking at this line, and finally it looks like the D-backs are getting some credit here. This game is a pick -em. A total of nine runs. Brandon Fott is starting for the Dimebacks, and he has been incredible in the postseason thus far. Uh, the young guy for the D-backs uh, has probably been the best starter for Arizona if you take out that last start for Merrill Kelly. Uh, and then you have Max Scherzer throwing for the Rangers, who's been a little iffy, and we know he was coming off that injury, so maybe some of his struggles early on in the postseason were due to that. Are you picking a side here, and are you bold enough to fade the Diamondbacks at home here? Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. I like the D-backs on the full game, and I like the D-backs in the first five. I'm going to go with that guy, Brandon Fott. First five money line for the D-backs is only minus 120. Again, like them for the full game, minus 110. I just, I got to see something from Max before I can stop fading him. And he hasn't looked like himself since returning from that shoulder injury. We don't have a sample size that's that big since he, he has returned from that injury. But since then, he has given up seven earned and six and two-thirds innings, struck out only six. That's not like him. And oh, by the way, now I was reading this morning that he's got some sort of cut on his throwing hand. And so the Rangers staff has treated it with cotton and super glue. <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> in a, he, his quote was quite literally a little arts and crafts in the clubhouse. I'm like arts and crafts on your finger before the World Series. It makes me nervous, Max. I'm sure this happens all the time. So I probably sound, I'm probably being a little hyperbolic here. However, if you're coming back from an injury, you haven't looked that great. You've got a cut on your right hand and you're taking on a guy who has arguably been the best guy in the Diamondbacks rotation in the postseason in Brandon Fott, who's been unbelievable. And I know Merrill Kelly was incredible last time out, but if you look back over Fott's last five starts, going back into the regular season. This includes all of his playoff appearances. He's given up more than two runs only once. So he's performed three times in the playoffs against the Dodgers once and the Phillies twice, two teams that can rake just like the Rangers, two earned runs in 14 total innings. I like D-backs first five minus 120. Yeah, I like that. I do think the Diamondbacks are the play in some way, shape, form, or fashion. 
But there's some other markets, I think, that are worth looking at, specifically if you want to back uh, Brandon Fought here, because BetMGM has some uh, interesting markets where you can go head-to-head pitcher matchups. So if you want to fade Max Scherzer and you kind of want to back Brandon Fought, you can go mm-hmm. most strikeouts, Brandon Fought for minus 130. Brandon Fought, not only has he been good, he's been missing a ton of bats. Had uh, back-to-back games of at least seven strikeouts, punched out seven last time around against the Phillies in only four innings of work. And then the game before that struck out nine uh, against the Phillies in five and two thirds. So also going into this is the fact that I think he's going to stay in the game longer Um, because I think that the Dimebacks would kind of like the ride, the hot hand of their starter here, as opposed to turning the game over to the bullpen relatively quickly, especially when you've already had uh, extra innings in this series in the first game of this World Series. So I think Brandon fought uh, head-to-head strikeouts over Max Scherzer. He's minus 130 to do that. Or you could take a look at his outs prop for this one, which is pretty low. It's been low the entire postseason. I know the sabotage factor is that the Rangers' bats can come live at any moment. But I think I'd mm-hmm. still ride the over 13.5 outs for minus 120. He simply needs to get a little more than four innings here uh, and he has done that um, in a couple starts this postseason. But again, I think this is situationally speaking. I think this Diamondbacks team would rather have him out there than some of the arms in their bullpen. So I think those are both uh, pretty solid looks. But again, I think the Diamondbacks are truly the play here. What do you think the sabotage factor is? Because Jenks, I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I felt like the first two games of this series would go in the Rangers' direction. Because Jordan Montgomery has been really good in the postseason, and so has Nathan Avaldi. But both of those pitchers kind of struggled, uh, mm-hmm. or at least, you know, they did not pick up wins in either of these games. So do you have a little bit of this feeling like, okay, uh, is everything I've been thinking wrong, or what should I do here? Because going into the series, I think that's how we thought we were going to bet this. Say, yeah. Rangers in the first two games because of their starters, and then you go to mm-hmm. Brandon Fott, fading Max Scherzer. Do you think that there is a chance we get a good Max Scherzer outing here? Because again, he's yes. coming off an injury. There is a chance he is better. Well, I, I want to clarify something because I think it's an interesting talking point, which is when you hear the phrase that I've used this before, oh, this person is due, which is overused. And it's, I understand it seems like low hanging fruit, but context matters. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is if you look at Max Scherzer, there's a better way to put it. But technically, you would think he is due. And I'm not saying that because, oh, this guy's been bad. At some point, he's got to be good. Well, you can't apply that standard to most pitchers. But you can when you're talking about Max Scherzer because of his history. Not just his history as a starting pitcher, but because of his history in the postseason. So Max Scherzer, the sabotage factor is he is very, very likely or could be likely to come out and be masterful. Because we know he has that in him. We're talking about a Hall of Fame pitcher. I don't know if it's going to happen tonight. But if I watch this game and all of a sudden Max Scherzer starts looking like Max Scherzer again, I'm not going to be stunned. That's not my handicap because we haven't seen that in his two appearances since being injured. But he's still Max Scherzer. So I'm not going to be completely stunned if all of a sudden he outduels Brandon Fought in a big spot because he's done this time and time again. He has the stuff to do it. That goes back not just through this season, but throughout his entire career. So I, I think that's the one sabotage factor is Mad Max comes out and looks like Mad Max 
no one would question or be stunned if he does that, even though he hasn't done it so far in the playoffs. Also because he's in a better situation here, because I think it was kind of a tough position for him in that first game of the postseason, because he had not pitched in a game in over a month. And then he's thrown mm -hmm. into the fire, coming off an injury, and he went against the Astros. So I think that's kind of unfair. And we did see him pitch uh, slightly better in the second go-round against the Strohs. Uh, went two earned runs over two and two-thirds. But I believe, wasn't that game seven? I'm trying to remember. I think it was. So here's the thing. The trend is going in the right direction for Max Scherzer. So if you think he continues to progress and plays better simply because he's not coming mm. off a month layoff, I don't think I would be shocked. And that's why I have trouble kind of pinning down a total in this one. Because I think with yeah. these two offenses, it makes me very nervous to play an under. But I could see this one being lower scoring, at least in the first five, between Max Scherzer and Brandon Fott. But we've seen these teams really punish the bullpens. So I think if this total was eight, I would take a look at the over. But sitting at nine, that makes me nervous. I think it's a no play. Yeah, I, I would lean to the over. I would lean to the over just based on the sheer hitting power that we've seen thus far in the playoffs. And I asked myself a question, which is, do I think there's a possibility that both of these guys, both of these pitchers come out and have quality starts? Maybe, but my money would be on one of these guys struggling a little bit. And then you look at late in the game. This will be one of those games, like I feel like we've seen each and every game in this series, where the over hits late eventually just because of the weakness in the bullpen for the rangers or just the bats involved we've seen the overhit in both game one and game two so i'm not going to play it but if i'm leaning one way and i'm with you that's a high number but i would lean to the over yeah because think about it this way even if both pitchers are good and they only give up say two runs there's four of your runs there and then you turn it over to the bullpen where both of these teams have been pretty effective going against these relief corps. So I think the over would be the play as well. All right, coming up next, it's time to dive into Monday Night Football, our favorite plays between the Lions and the Raiders. Stick with us. That's next on The Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. Chelsea and Jenks will be right back on The Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. On the BetQL Network. Let's get back to the Daily Tip with Chelsea Messenger and Michael Jenkins, presented by Bet MGM on the BetQL Network. That's right, our two rocks right on here on the BetQL Network as we get into some Monday Night Football in Detroit between the Lions and the Raiders. I was about to say, oh, it's the, you know, uh, rock and roll hall of fame capital of the united oh. states but that's definitely cleveland isn't it i definitely Correct. wouldn't have gotten that one right <laughs> yes tonight but in the emerald like city detroit <laughs> detroit michigan yes you nailed it but doesn't it feel like detroit would love like rock music like why am i thinking this is somebody one of the famous like rock people from michigan like is kiss from michigan well, they have Detroit Rock City. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Maybe. You know the song? Yeah, that could be it. But also Detroit's the home, you know, it's Motown. So that that's really, I think, 
I don't know. Detroit's very interesting in that way where, yeah, there's some rockers who have paid homage to Detroit, but also it has an incredible history there with the, you know, the birth of the Motown sound and everything there. So I don't know. I think it's more, I think it's easy when you think about a, a city, you want to, you want to pin a certain moniker on it, but some cities aren't that easy to do too. And I think Detroit's one of those. But it just feels like a blue collar city, you know, a blue collar mm-hmm. city that works oh, hard, is. they rock hard and they appreciate uh, some good rock music. And I feel like they probably appreciate a good beer. Like, doesn't that kind of feel like the demographic? But also, I've never been to Detroit. So this is just based on like the narratives that I've seen. You've been to Detroit, right? I have. Also Eminem famously from Detroit. So there's another avenue, mm-hmm. a music avenue that's associated with the city. Yeah, I like Detroit a lot. It's definitely a blue collar city. There's no question about it. It's been trying to recover for many years now from, you know, the economic impact from various sources, whatever they are. They've been trying to rebuild the downtown. That's taken some time too. There was a time, I don't know, how long ago was this? Five or six years ago, I almost, I didn't do it. I almost invested in some real estate in Detroit because real estate is very inexpensive, or at least it was back when I was looking at it. And as part of the slow recovery of Detroit, I thought, you know, this wouldn't be a bad idea to maybe look at some property there. But yeah, I I like Detroit a lot and been there a couple of times. Very close friend of mine is from Detroit. Actually, a couple of friends of mine, my friend Don and my friend Michelle. So yeah, I like Detroit a lot. Once again, we know you're popular and you have friends everywhere, Jinx. (laughs) Michael Jenkins, the mayor of D.C. Oh, yeah, I've just just got a couple of friends in every city. It's no big deal. But you know who else is from Detroit? Big Sean. Who? uh, Famous for a lyric that said, last night took an L, but tonight we bounce back, which is kind of like the Detroit Lions. Took an L last week, trying to bounce back this week against the Raiders. And usually... This is when I like to take teams. Good teams kind of coming off a loss. It feels like you get a buy-low situation, but it's not that buy-low of a situation because you're still laying seven and a half points if you're taking yeah. the Lions against the Raiders tonight. If you're interested in a total in this one, total sitting at 46 and a half. So, Jenks, uh, are you with Big Sean here? Do you think that uh, huh. the Lions bouncing back here? Yeah, I do. I like the Lions a lot here. Now, the total's come down from eight and a half, so I guess we're seeing some money on the Raiders. I don't know where that money's coming from because I don't buy it a bit. I, I, I'm with you. I, I like Detroit here, and I especially like them coming off a really bad loss. And when you can get a team that you know is a very good team coming off a loss like that, they will be motivated. They won't be looking past anyone. They won't be looking past Vegas. And And when you talk about Detroit and talk about the success that this Lions team is having, then I I think this is where home field advantage matters more than normal because we're not used to talking about the Lions as huge favorites on Monday Night Football. They've got the spotlight all to themselves tonight. There's no question they're a very good football team and they're heavy favorites for a reason. So I feel like in front of this home crowd, on Monday Night Football, normally when I think of the Lions, I think the Lions get beat down on Thanksgiving. That's what I think about. But now we're talking about the Lions. Monday Night Football, I think they could absolutely come out quickly, blow the doors off the Raiders. And I think home field matters in this matchup more than it normally does. It is a big number. Also, I think the Lions have a clear coaching advantage here. I mean, how could they not? So let's go Lions minus seven and a half. 
I think I'd be on that side as well if I had to pick a side because it's not just home field advantage. It's the fact that Jared Goff, the quarterback for the Lions, has been markedly better at home this season. If you look at his splits, seven touchdowns to only two interceptions when playing at home this year, uh, only four touchdowns to two interceptions uh, with a pass or a completion percentage of only 65% when playing on the road. When he's at home, he's completing 72% of his passes. That's a pretty good clip. And I think the bigger sample size is the Lions have looked like one of the premier teams in the NFL for most of the season. So if you're talking about, you know, a seven and a half point spread, you need one of those premier teams in the NFL to cover a big number, but at least this game's at home as well. So I think I would lean towards that side, but I almost feel like a coward because I never want to play sides. I feel like the lines are always so sharp and especially in prime time. This is not usually the case where I want to lay a big number. Uh, so I think there are other ways to play this. So if you look at the props market, Jenks, is there anybody who you would have more faith in than maybe playing a side here? Yeah, there's a couple I like. First of all, let me get the juiciest of the juiciest prop plays out of the way. When I was handicapping yesterday, I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't realize it was going to be this juicy. Jimmy G to throw a pick. That's at minus 185. Ugh. I'm not going to play that outright. It's too expensive. Maybe you can parlay that with something. He leads the NFL. Let me just give you a quick handicap here. Jimmy G leads the NFL with eight interceptions. He has made five starts this season. He has thrown at least, at least one pick in each of those five starts. The Lions defense has made six interceptions as a team this year. That's a little bit above the league average. And when you think about game script, don't you think the Raiders are going to be playing from behind? I certainly do. That means more Jimmy G attempts, more Jimmy G passes, and more chances for an interception. So it's minus 185. I can't play it, but I do like that bet. I'm going to go Josh Jacobs under 63 and a half rushing yards, minus 130 at BetMGM. He's only gone over this number twice in his last seven starts. He has not gone over this number at all in any of the Raiders' five losses. So we talk about game script again. I don't see them feeding the ball to Josh Jacobs late because Raiders are going to be playing from behind in this game. He's averaging 2.29 yards per carry. So if you're trying to look at the averages, how does he get over this number by the Raiders feeding him? I don't see that happening in this game. And the Lions have the number two rushing defense in the NFL. I'm on the under when it comes to Josh Jacobs. I think that's the right play because it goes with the game script and also the fact that, like you said, the Lions have been really stout against the run. I think for me, I would look at the other side and I would go with a, a prop on Jameer Gibbs. I think it's going to be a Jameer G Gibbs game simply because David Montgomery is going to be out for this one. And usually when Jameer Gibbs gets the touches, he really, uh, you know, pays off. Uh, he had 68 yards on, on only 11 carries last time around in a loss to the Ravens. Remember, that was in a loss as well, uh, but also mm -hmm. had 58 yards receiving. So a big day when it comes to rushing plus receiving. I'm currently trying to find this number over at BetMGM, but I feel like it would be worth a play in this one. I think it's going to be a big game for him. Uh, finally, it feels like we will see a big game from him. Uh, Matchup-wise, it looks like the, the way to play this one is to attack the ground game against the Raiders. They're actually pretty solid against the pass. Maybe that's just because they've been bad at defending the run. Uh, but still, it feels like that is a play that I would like to make. 
What about a total in this one? Okay, we're seeing the number. Uh, 98 and a half uh, at one place. I think I would hit the over on Jameer Gibbs. Rushing plus receiving. Jenks, what about a total in this one? Does uh, 46 and a half uh, strike any kind of feeling that you want to play this? Mm, not really. I don't know. The last time I looked at the money, it was sort of split between the over and under, just kind of right there. Now, again, it has moved up a half point from 46 to 46 and a half. I just, I think my worry is, will the Raiders score enough points here? I think the Lions are going to score a lot of points. The question is, will the Raiders? The Raiders average 16 points per game. That is third worst in the NFL, ahead of only the Patriots and the Giants. When they're on the road this season, obviously in that spot tonight, they're averaging only 14 points per game. So I I just really worry because I talked about the Lions having the number two rushing defense in the NFL. They can slow down Josh Jacobs. There's no question about that. The Raiders' offensive line is not, not great. So you're going to put this game in the hands of Jimmy G. And I like Jimmy G, but he has been a real disappointment in Vegas, he's been kind of banged up all season. So I think the under is the play. I think I would lean towards that direction as well. And we're seeing a majority of the money hit the under as well. 60% of the money, 74% of the tickets on the under tonight. And it bears worth repeating. Primetime unders have generally been the play, especially if you think it's going to be a blowout. Look at last night's game between the Chargers and the Bears. The Chargers scored 30 points. And yet that game still stayed under the total of, I believe it was 46. I think this total was almost almost the same as what we're seeing for this Raiders and Lions game. So I think a lot of this hinges on if you think the Raiders can put up some points as well. Is there mm-hmm. anything we're missing here about the Raiders? Uh, normally, I like taking the Raiders maybe at home, but there has not been many glimmers of hope for this Raiders team on both sides of the ball. Like the defense hasn't been great. The offense is extremely pedestrian. Is there any sabotage mm-hmm. factor here for the Lions covering? Oh, well, okay, I'll throw something out. The Raiders were able to vent their frustrations. There was a huge team meeting. Josh McDaniels opened the floor to everyone and said, all right, we're having a tough season. The floor is open. And so I guess a lot of players stood up voiced their frustration, said, we're upset about this, we're upset about that. So maybe you say, well, the head coach, who's not a good head coach, gave his team a forum for expressing what they're upset about, their displeasures with how the season has gone. So sometimes those things can unite you as a football team, and maybe they come out and play inspired football, or maybe they're all still angry and disjointed and things don't go well. That's really the only thing I can come up with. Yeah, and they still have Devontae Adams, who who is a good receiver, and maybe he can make a dent for the Raiders. Who knows? But I think we're going to be on the Lions, if you must know. Uh, Top of the hour is next. Uh, We tell you what we learned from this week in the NFL. That's next. For more, listen to The Daily Tip, presented by BetMGM. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9 Eastern on the BetQL Network, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts.